five years ago, this court recognized the general rule that religious objections to gay marriage do not allow business owners to deny protected persons equal access to goods and services under a neutral and generally applicable public accommodations law. The court also recognized the serious stigma that would result if purveyors of goods and services who object to gay marriages were allowed to put up signs saying, quote, and I'm quoting the court, no goods or services will be sold if they will be used for gay weddings. Today, however, the court decides that the First Amendment exempts a website design company from a state law that prohibits the company from denying wedding websites to same-sex couples if the company chooses to sell those same websites to the public. The court also decides that, a comp that the company has a right to post a notice that says, quote, no wedding websites will be sold to gay or lesbian couples for their weddings. What a difference five years makes. And not just here at the court. Around the country, there has been a backlash to the movement for liberty and equality for gender and sexual minorities. New forms of freedom and inclusion have been met with a reactionary effort to exclude. This is heartbreaking. Sadly, it is also familiar. When the civil rights and women's rights movement of the 20th century sought equality in public life, some public establishments refused. Some even claimed, based on sincere religious beliefs, constitutional rights to discriminate. The brave justices who once sat on this court decisively rejected those claims. Now the court faces a similar test. A business open to the public seeks to deny gay and lesbian customers the full and equal enjoyment of its services based on the business owner's religious belief that same-sex marriages are, quote, false, close quote. The business argues, and a majority of the court today agrees, that because the business offers services that are customized and expressive, the free speech clause of the First Amendment shields the business from a generally applicable law that prohibits discrimination in the sale of publicly available goods and services. This is wrong, profoundly wrong. The law in question targets conduct, not speech, for regulation. And the act of discrimination has never constituted protected expression under the First Amendment. In a case not mentioned by the majority, in Runyon versus McCrary, a group of private schools claimed a First Amendment right to exclude black children. The court said no. The school's educational services consisted of speech, and the schools argued that being forced to sell those services to black families would alter their message. The schools wanted to send the message that racial segregation was undesirable. The court, however, correctly reasoned that the school's practices of denying educational services to black people was not shielded by the First Amendment. The school was still free to teach that racial segregation was so desirable. They just had to teach all comers, regardless of race. Requiring the school to abide by an anti-discrimination law 
was not the same thing as compelling them to express teachings contrary to their sincerely held beliefs. Similarly, in the Women's Liberation Era, a law partnership raised constitutional arguments to challenge the application of a law that forbid discrimination on the basis of sex. The law partnership was an act of association. Its services, legal advocacy, were expressive. Indeed, they consisted of speech. So the law firm argued that requiring it to include women violated its First Amendment rights of free expression and of commercial association. This court rejected that argument. The application of the law did not infringe constitutional rights of expression, the court said, because the law did not inhibit the partnership's ability to advocate for their sexist ideas and belief. The law firm just had to deal with women lawyers on equal terms. Time and again, businesses and other commercial entities have claimed constitutional rights to discriminate. And time and again, this court has courageously stood up to those claims until today. Today, the court shrinks. A commercial business claims that it would like to sell wedding websites to the general public, yet refuse those same websites to gay and lesbian couples. Under state law, the business is free to include or not include any message it wants in its wedding websites. The company could sell only wedding websites with biblical quotations describing marriage as between one man and one woman. The company could equally refuse to include the words love is love on its websites. Neither the company nor the, its owner is forced to endorse same-sex marriage. The only thing the company has to do is offer whatever websites it chooses to sell to the public without discriminating against customers on the basis of sexual orientation. However, Lori Smith and her company, 303 Creative LLC, maintain that they will refuse to create any wedding website for the same-sex couple. In other words, she and her company claim a categorical exemption from the law. Even the announcement of the time and place of a same-sex wedding, Smith says, would violate her freedom of speech because the wedding itself is a concept that she believes to be false. Indeed, Smith concedes that if a gay or lesbian couple saw a straight wedding website created by her company and requested an identical website with only the names and date of the wedding changed, she would refuse. That is the status discrimination, plain and simple. This court chooses to look the other way. A majority of the court says the company discriminates based on message, not status. But as I have explained, state law does not require the company to include or not include any message at all. All the company has to do is sell to everyone whatever website it chooses to offer. The company says, and a majority of the court today agrees, that the company can define the expressive quality of its services to exclude a disfavored group. According to the majority, the company sells only opposite-sex wedding websites 
That is its service. This makes a mockery of the law. The company cannot define its services as opposite sex wedding sites any more than a hotel can recast its services as whites-only lodging. Allowing a business open to the public to define the expressive quality of its goods or services to exclude a particular clientele nullifies public accommodation laws. The majority protests that the company will gladly sell to everyone, including same-sex couples. The company just will not sell wedding sites for same-sex weddings. That was the argument made by restaurant owners who said they did not discriminate against black Americans because they would sell them takeout service from a separate counter, not just integrated table service. That was a case before this court. And this court said, no, you have to offer all the service to all comers. Lori Smith discriminates against gays and lesbians by offering them a limited menu of the services that she offers to everyone else. She will sell at a side counter. She will not sell wedding websites to others. She will sell wedding websites to others, just not to gay couples. The court embraces this contrivance. It grants Smith's business a broad constitutional exemption from a state public accommodations law. Even worse, the court allows the business to post a public notice that serves, that says, this is what she wants to say, services will be refused to gay and lesbian couple. The court's decision is a grave error. The duty to serve without unjust discrimination is owed to everyone and it extends to any business that holds itself out to the public as ready to serve. If you have ever taken advantage of a public business without being refused service because of who you are, then you have come to enjoy the dignity and freedom that this principle protects. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people, no less than anyone else, deserve that dignity and freedom. LGBT people have existed for all of human history, and as sure as they have existed, others have sought to deny their existence and to exclude them from public life. Those who would subordinate LGBT people have often done so with the backing of law. For most of American history, there were laws criminalizing same-sex intimacy. Gays and lesbians were also barred from military service excluded under immigration laws, and targeted by police. State-sponsored discrimination was compounded by discrimination in public accommodations, though the two often went hand in hand. The police raided bars looking for gay and lesbians so often that some bars put up signs saying, we do not serve homosexuals. Determined not to live as social outcasts, LGBT people have risen up, the social movement for LGBT rights has been long and complex. It is not over. Still change has come, change in social attitudes, in representation, and in legal institutions. One significant change has been the addition of sexual orientation and gender identity to public accommodations laws. About half of the states now provide such protections. As this court explained in Romer versus Evans, 
These are protections taken for granted by most people, either because they already have them or do not need them. These are protections against exclusion from an almost limitless number of transactions and endeavors that constitute ordinary civil life in a free society. LGBT people do not seek any special treatment. All they seek is to exist as themselves in public, to inhibit public spaces on the same terms and conditions as everyone else. This is a sad day in American constitutional law and in the lives of LGBT people. The Supreme Court of the United States declares that a particular kind of business, though open, though open to the public, has a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. The court does so for the first time in its history. By issuing this new license to discriminate in a, company, in a case brought by a company that seeks to deny same-sex couples the full and equal enjoyment of its services, the immediate symbolic effect of the decision today is to mark gays and lesbians for second-class status. In this way, the decision itself inflicts a kind of stigmatic harm on top of any harm caused by denial of services. The opinion of the court is quite literally a notice that reads, some services may be denied to same-sex couples. The truth is, these affronts and denials are intensely human and personal. Sometimes they may harm the physical body, but always they strike at the root of the human spirit, at the very core of human dignity. To see how, imagine a same-sex couple browses the public marketplace with their child. The marketplace could be online or in a shopping mall. Some stores sell products that are customized and expressive. The family sees a notice announcing that services will be refused for same-sex couples. What message does that send about America or about our Constitution? It sends the message that we live in a society with social caste. It says to the child of the same-sex couple that their parents' relationship is not equal to others. And it reminds LGBT people of a painful feeling that they know all too well. There are some public spaces where they can be themselves and some where they cannot. Ask any LGBT person and you will learn just how often they are forced to navigate life in this way. This case cannot be understood outside of the context in which it arises. In that context, the outcome is even more distressing. The LGBT rights movement has made historic strides, and I am proud of the role this court recently played in that history. Today, however, we are taking steps backwards. A slew of anti-LGBT laws have been passed in some parts of the country, raising the specter of a bare desire to harm a politically unpopular group. In this pivotal moment, this court had an opportunity to reaffirm its commitment to equality on behalf of all members of society. It does not do so today. Although the consequences of today's decision might be most pressing for the LGBT community, the decision's logic cannot be limited to discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation 
or gender identity. That decision threatens to balkanize the market and to allow the exclusion of other groups from many services. Any website designer offering expressive speech could equally refuse to create a wedding website for an integrated couple, for example. A stationer could refuse to sell a birth announcement for a disabled couple because she opposes their having a child. A large retail store could reserve its family portrait services for traditional families. And so on, and so on, and so on. Who will not claim in our society that they don't have an expressive service? Wedding websites, birth announcements, family portraits, epitaphs. These are not just words and images. They are the most profound moments in a human life. They are the moments that give life cultural meaning. Because this case was brought as a pre-enforcement challenge, Laurie Smith and only Laurie Smith is at the center of the court's story. But there is another half to this story. Consider Cynthia and Sherry, a lesbian couple of 13 years until Cynthia died from cancer at age 25, 35. When Cynthia was diagnosed, she drew up a will which authorized Sherry to make burial arrangements. Cynthia had asked Sherry to include an inscription on her headstone, listing the relationships that were important to her. For example, daughter, granddaughter, sister, and aunt. After Cynthia died, the cemetery was willing to include those words, but it refused the three words that describe Cynthia's relationship to Sherry, beloved life partner. What justice is that? I fear that the symbolic damage of the court's opinion is done, but that does not mean that we are powerless in the face of this decision. The meaning of our Constitution is found not in any law volume, but in the spirit of the people who live under it. Every business owner in America has a choice whether to live out the values in the Constitution. Make no mistake, invidious discrimination is not one of those values. In the words of Justice Murphy, it is unattractive in any setting, but it is ultraly revolting among a free people who have embraced the principles set forth in the Constitution of the United States. The unattracted lesson of the majority opinion is this. What my, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. The lesson of the history of, of a public accommodation laws is altogether different. It is that in a free and democratic society, there can be no social outcast. And for that to be true, it must be true in the public marketplace. For as this court once recognized, the promise of freedom is an empty one if the government is powerless to assure that a dollar in the hands of one per person will purchase the same thing as a dollar in the hands of another. Because the court today retreats from that promise, I, with Justices Kagan and Jackson, dissent.